Long History's Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. Number 15, Henry Addington, the first middle class Prime Minister. He was in the office from the 17th of March 1801 till the 10th of May 1804. Hello everyone and welcome to another Random UK Prime Minister of the Week. This is the series where we look at a random UK Prime Minister and ask a few questions, such as how they got in power, what their main achievements were and how they left power. We'll also take a look at the country at the time and a bit of the historical background just to set the scene. And in today's episode we're heading right back to the beginning of the 19th century. This is the time when the Napoleonic conflicts just begin but the Industrial Revolution hasn't quite begun yet. And in the midst of it all we have Henry Addington who is apparently the first middle class Prime Minister. So let's get going with the latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 15, Henry Addington. Several tropes are emerging now when we look at UK Prime Ministers, particularly when we think of a term such as Prime Ministerial. What makes up a Prime Minister? Looking at Winston Churchill, for example, we see one definition, perhaps. He was a war leader, but in today's terms we could perhaps say he was something of a celebrity, someone who was comfortable with being in charge and being famous. However, although Churchill defines a certain archetype of a charismatic Prime Minister, Henry Addington, the Prime Minister we're looking at today, defines another type of archetype. In his case, when we look at the term Prime Ministerial, we might include words such as stalwart, diligent, loyal, workmanlike and meticulous, although it's true to say that less favourable commentators might use words such as boring, forgettable, docile and even non-entity. Although the Churchill type of Prime Minister is by definition more memorable, it is tempting to say that the latter type is a more common type of archetype, if only because this type of Prime Minister tends not to last very long in office. So occasionally there have been four or five of these kind of forgettable Prime Ministers before a more inspirational one comes along. And of all the Prime Ministers looked at until now on Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, Addington in particular seems to exemplify this type of less inspirational but nevertheless interesting case. He was a man who, probably even by his own assessment, was completely overshadowed by his predecessor and successor, the same man, the much more famous William Pitt the Younger. As well as being the first middle class Prime Minister, however, he did have another record-breaking feat. He stayed in the job as Home Secretary, a job which nowadays in the UK puts you in charge of prisons, immigration and national security, for 10 years, which is a record-breaking length of time. And this perhaps exemplifies Addington's role as an exceptional right-hand person, rather than an outright leader. What was he like? So with the introduction out of the way, how can we say that Addington himself thought he was overshadowed by Pitt? Well, that's because Addington also exemplifies a, a particular trope amongst Prime Ministers. There are Prime Ministers who climb to the top, whose rise, looking back, seems somehow inevitable. How could such a star not reach the top? And then there's Addington, who seemed much more comfortable as a man in the background, working, perhaps, as that loyal right-hand man to a man happier to be in the limelight. And it sometimes happens that such men suddenly reach the top when this famous leader suddenly steps aside, for health reasons perhaps, or due to a scandal, or perhaps even due to sudden death. This suddenly leaves that right-hand man alone at the top, 
the ideal establishment replacement, suddenly thrust into the role of PM, whether he had secretly been lusting after it or not. The historical background. In the research done for this episode, two issues stand out at that time. The French Revolution had barely ended when Addington came into power, and that revolution had prompted wider European wars, the French Revolutionary Wars, sometimes even called the beginning of the Napoleonic Wars. And if that sounds a bit of a mess, it's because it was a bit of a mess. When Addington took the office of Prime Minister, the War of the Second Coalition, as it was called, was grinding on. This is where most of Europe's monarchies initially fought the French Republic, until, by 1801, when Addington took charge as Prime Minister, the UK was left as the only principal combatant, in a war which exposed the disunity of Europe. The other issue at the time was Great Britain's other neighbour, Ireland, which we'll discuss in the next section. The United Kingdom at the time. So we like to ask the question in every episode, what was the UK like at that time? But with Addington, for the first time, it's a particularly pertinent question. Because he's the first actual Prime Minister, we can ask this question about the new United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland that was formed in 1801. This country actually officially began to exist in 1801. So this is actually the first time we can ask this question of the United Kingdom. Before then it would have been called Great Britain or the United Kingdom of Great Britain. If we focus on one town at the time, the future capital of Wales, Cardiff, had a population of 1,870 in 1801 and it was much smaller than its two nearby neighbours, Swansea with 6,099 people and the 7,705 people in the nearby town of Merthyr Tydfil. From this small start in 1801, the town would grow quickly during the 19th century, reaching nearly 130,000 in 1891, going on to be officially declared capital of Wales in 1955, and then reaching 346,000 people in 2011. So we can see how towns and cities such as Cardiff have expanded over time. Looking at the wages of the time, we found one figure that the weekly wage of a skilled tradesman in 1800 was around 17 shillings and sixpence, which was about £38.56 or $46.72. Over in the United States, only two weeks before Addington became Prime Minister, Thomas Jefferson was sworn in as President Number 3 of the United States. He would remain in office till 1809. Tennessee was admitted to the Union in 1796, with Ohio being admitted two years after Addington became the UK's Prime Minister in 1803. Who could vote? Well, this was before the famous Reform Act of 1832. That was the act that expanded the voting rights to include industrial cities and members of professions rather than just aristocrats and landed gentry. So the old system was still in place, which included rotten boroughs, which were boroughs with so few voters that they could easily be bought. So becoming a Member of Parliament at that time was more due to connections than it was due to popularity with the public. What was Addington's background? We've mentioned that Addington was the first middle-class Prime Minister, but what does this mean? Well, just to be clear, that wasn't because the preceding 14 Prime Ministers were all working class. No, they were all landed gentry or aristocrats. What made Addington different was that his father was a doctor, so he was a member of one of the professions and had to work for a living. Imagine the horror. 
Addington's father was in fact the doctor of Pitt the Younger's father, Pitt the Younger being one of the most famous of the early Prime Ministers in the country's history. Addington's father therefore encouraged Addington to play with Pitt the Younger as a child, which meant the two became, well, sort of friends, perhaps acquaintances is a better word. Despite only being from the middle class, Addington had a very establishment education, being schooled at Winchester, one of the establishment's favourites, followed by Oxford University, the main university of future Prime Ministers. So Addington had a completely establishment background, he went on to study law after university, but became an MP for the first time in 1784. Pitt the Younger and Addington, it seemed, had an intriguing relationship. As we've said, they had known each other since childhood, and Addington seemed to recognise Pitt's superlative ability as a Prime Minister. This admiration, and possibly even this friendship, however, at least from my brief reading of the situation, does not necessarily seem to have been reciprocated. As soon as Pitt's career took off, for example, he seems to have dumped Addington as a friend. Nevertheless, the two men knew each other and mixed in similar circles, so their paths could not help but cross. How did Addington become Prime Minister? Well, again, that's tied very closely to Pitt. He'd become Prime Minister in 1783 at the age of only 24. He still is the youngest Prime Minister ever to have held the office. He was also one of the longest-serving Prime Ministers, coming second only after Robert Walpole. Despite his longevity, or perhaps because of it, by 1800 he was becoming exhausted and his popularity was waning due to these French wars. They'd caused many deaths and were proving very expensive. Ireland, officially and controversially, joined the United Kingdom in 1801, but there were limits to this union. With Ireland being joined to the United Kingdom, Pitt the Younger had argued for Irish Catholic emancipation, that is, treating Irish Catholics on the same terms as Protestants. He thought that this would help to entrench the notion of United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. However, this was when the king at the time, George III, comes into the story. He'd been king since 1760, and his Protestantism could be said to be one of the very reasons that he was in power as the king. Therefore, the notion for him of treating Catholics like Protestants was beyond the pale. Pitt disagreed fundamentally with this, and therefore resigned on the issue. The king asked Addington to take his place. This was a reliable stalwart whose principal office until then had been as speaker. Although Addington initially tried to find another reason to resolve this dispute between Pitt and the king, when this was not possible, and when Pitt himself agreed, Addington took up the role. What were Addington's biggest achievements as Prime Minister? Well, the word mediocre has been used to describe Addington. As has been noted, however, not all Prime Ministers can be inspirational, and many other Prime Ministers can't compete with the long shadow cast by people such as Churchill and Pitt the Younger. However, he did do something that Pitt did not manage. He managed to garner enough agreement to put together the Treaty of Amiens between the UK and France in 1802. This led to a brief moment of peace. It was, nevertheless, a short-lived, a kind of experimental peace, apparently, according to George III. War broke out again only two months after the treaty was signed, this time beginning the Napoleonic Wars properly. Another thing Addington also did was to abolish income tax, a tax you might have heard of, and that was introduced by Pitt the Younger. 
but for some reason proved very unpopular. However, Addington was soon forced to reintroduce it. What led to Addington leaving office? When that war broke out again, the public, it seemed, wanted a proper war leader in office. They wanted Pitt the Younger back. And we can't forget that Addington was middle class, something that did not count in his favour in those days. The public also feared that the French were about to invade Great Britain at any moment. Addington seemed to recognise that he was not up to the challenge that faced him. The people wanted a war leader, and the king, incapacitated by his recurring illness for a time, was not around to object. Addington handed the role back to Pitt. Why should we remember Addington? So, Addington gave up the job. Despite having said that he's an archetype of a sort of stopgap prime minister, he was exceptional in that he chose to give up the job to a better man. There are examples of a premier being preceded and succeeded by the same man. Edward Heath, for example, was bookended by Harold Wilson. Clement Attlee was in charge between Churchill's two times in office. But this might be the only time when the role was voluntarily handed back to a predecessor. As we've said, it's a slightly odd, unequal relationship, and perhaps Addington just saw that Pitt was better at this particular job, whilst Pitt looked back at Addington and agreed. Nevertheless, as we've said, Addington's main achievement was that Treaty of Amiens before the Napoleonic Wars properly erupted. It's also perhaps worth noting that although Pitt returned to the job, he actually died almost two years later of what amounted to overwork. So Addington, in this unequal relationship, he sort of had the last laugh, a laugh that would last another 38 years, because he long outlived the man who overshadowed him, and stayed in politics long enough to break that other record of being the longest continuously serving Home Secretary. That was in over 10 years, from 1812 to 1822. Thank you for listening everyone to the latest episode of Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, We've got a few available now, so if you want to have a browse on your podcast provider, or they'll all be available on longhistory.net, our website. Please, before you move on, don't forget to like this episode if you've enjoyed it. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you for listening. This was Random UK Prime Minister of the Week, number 15, Henry Addington. Goodbye.